0: Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters.
1: Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Business Ninjas. I'm happy to be here today with Shara Turner, Clinical Director of Sabino Recovery. How are you doing today, Shara?
0: I'm doing well, thank you.
1: Well, I appreciate you spending some time with us here on Business Ninjas. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and about Sabino Recovery.
0: Oh, that's a big question. I think. Um, well, I have been at Sabino Recovery for about three and a half years. Uh, I started my career in public health. Um, I was treating duly diagnosed uh, individuals with, you know, anywhere from schizophrenia to psychosis, um, bipolar, with uh, usually a substance abuse diagnosis, and in the public sector, there's not just not a lot of resources. So it's a really a focus on medication and stabilization. And then I found Sabino, which is a trauma facility. We are private pay, privately owned. Um, and really everything we do is through a lens of trauma. It's never about what ha- what what's wrong with you. It's always about what happened to you. Um, and that's, I just think the work is so beautiful and much more sustainable uh, than that medical model that I was talking about.
1: Uh, uh. Uh, you are preaching to the choir. I yeah. truly feel that medication is about suppressing people's emotions, not getting at the root cause of why they are where they are in the first place. So Absolutely. <laughs> now, tell me a little bit more about your background. How did you end up at Sabino?
0: Yeah. So I actually was a stay-at-home mom for almost 13 years. And uh, through that process, I got my master's online and thought, well, when the last kid's going to be out of the house, I got to do something with my life. <laughs> And I always had a, an affinity for the mental health field. Um, you know, growing up, people always kind of came to me for advice. So it was like, maybe I'm really good at this. Um, and I actually had, a, a, my first husband was an alcoholic and actually passed away very young of alcoholism. So I think that I've got a fart for for what I do. I'm also a trauma survivor. Um, you know, I just realized that people can really transform their adversity into something positive and that's where healing happens. Um, mm-hmm the day i walked into sabino i just felt like i was at home and that is just really again like i talked about their approach to treating mental health and substance abuse issues is just such a holistic integrative person-centered um loving approach uh, no stigmatization we don't pathologize people we're really just getting underneath that root cause of what's what that major dysregulation's coming from so well
1: i think patients can truly sense that you are an empath and have experience and that this isn't textbook knowledge when, when you talk to them. That's, that's important. People need to know that they can trust you. And, and the fact that you've been through the fire and are out the other side, uh, you know, it's yeah, yeah. to your ability to understand what they're going through, which is a huge component. Yeah. Um, what's the origin story of Sabino Recovery? How long they've been around?
0: So Sabino's been around about seven years. Um, the, the facility where we're at is in Tucson, Arizona nestled up against Sabino Canyon and actually um, was a therapeutic boarding school prior to it becoming Sabino. Um, and then it had been shut down for years. And our CEO is a founder and one of his colleagues just found the spot. And, you know, they, again, he's in recovery. Um, his co-founder was in recovery and they're like, we we just really want to do this. Um, both, you know, philanthropists are good at raising money. So they went to their board of directors, which was, some oil and gas men in Wichita Falls, Texas, interestingly enough, and they all went and said, you know what, we see this as being valuable. Um, And they went to work and, you know, just rejuvenated this old property and made it really beautiful. Um, And then about a year and a half ago, Thomas and his partner Roy Serpa actually ended up buying it out from under the board of directors. And now they run it on their own. They just bought a new facility in Texas Cypress Lodge Recovery is what it's called outside of Houston. So they are an insurance-based program, but we're also trying to bring some of these trauma-informed concepts to even an insurance-based facility as well. So, so w-
1: when you say it's private pay, this is completely out-of-pocket treatment? There's no insurance
0: involved? So, not necessarily. Um, when I say private, privately owned private pay, we only take out-of-network benefits. So the way that works is that insurance companies do not dictate our treatment. You know, unfortunately in in our field, much of what insurance will pay for is what we call evidence-based treatment. That's the cognitive behavioral therapies, dialectical behavioral therapies, which again are, are wonderful modalities, but they don't get underneath the root cause that kind of bottom up velocity that we're really working from. I've seen a little bit of a shift in insurance companies lately that they're coming around to some of the more experiential modalities that tend to be really, really effective. Um, But what we do is we do take out-of-network benefits. So people that have a plan that we can work with will run their benefits, and then we can take a discount off the top of the price of treatment. Um, And once they come in the door, no matter what their discount is, whether they meet criteria or not with the insurance companies, they get to stay that 35, 45 days no matter what.
1: So. It must it must be frustrating that the insurance companies are so quick to cover every prescription pad that is uh, emptied out in, in the industry, but not necessarily some of the cutting-edge approaches that are effective and that, you know, people need something other than just suppression. I mean, I understand there is a time and place for all those medications and that there are people for whom they work, but… Yeah. Um, The idea that that's about the only thing that the insurance companies will cover has to frustrate you.
0: It is probably my biggest frustration and my biggest platform. In fact, I give this, um, I do this presentation for family. We have a family program that we do about the fourth week of treatment. And um, I tell them that, you know, in the last 50 years, the rates of depression and anxiety have risen in direct correlation with the amount of pesticides in our foods. We're not getting our neurotransmitters from our food like we used to, right? And the use of SSRIs, your Lexapro's, Paxil's, Prozac have risen in direct correlation with that as well. When SSRIs first came out, they were indicated for a stent of one and a half to two years just to modulate those chemicals in the brain so that neuroplasticity could start working in a positive way. No one was ever meant to stay on SSRIs their whole life. That just wasn't, wasn't. But now that's what's happening because, and again, I'm not, I'm getting really down on in insurance companies, but they only allot you 15 minutes to walk into an office. You've got such a limited amount of time to really make a diagnosis and give medication so that that visit will be paid for, right? You know,
1: human beings live on a sine wave. For some people, the amplitude is manageable. And the idea that a 15 minute cross section lets you know the entirety of that sine wave, just, it just does not fly. Uh, And also I, I think what, what feeds into the statistics you're just talking about is the diagnosis frenzy of the last 20, 30 years. I yeah. I feel lucky that I am old enough that that wasn't going on when I was in elementary school because I'm sure I would have been labeled as ADHD. Put him on this, put him on that because, you know, yeah. but that's going on at such an earlier and earlier age. I think we just, we have lost sight of home base. What is comfort? What is ease, right? What is what is happiness? Not that there's a definable answer to that, but when we start medicating people earlier and earlier, it's people like you who have to clean up a, a mess that is a, really a snowball by the time they get to you.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So it, and
1: addiction is about masking, you know, or trying to suppress your own pain, or uh, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you just right read off are, are tremendous, right?
0: Well, and listen, addiction to me is survival. It's just survival. Because we were taught at a very young age, you know, most people have some kind of trauma. I I did research on this, 96% of people in this world have some kind of exposure to trauma. That's a huge number. And yet when you use trauma synonymously in a a sentence with addiction, people look at you like, what, like really? But but here's what happens, you know, your nervous system is so dysregulated by stress and trauma that you've gone through. It is our natural desire, subconscious desire to bring homeostasis to that nervous system. And we will do it in the quickest way possible. And if that's a drink or that's shopping or that's gambling or whatever other maladaptive coping mechanism, I don't care how resilient, strong, smart you are. When you lose access to your executive functioning part of the brain because you're triggered, you're going to go to the quickest thing that you know that's going to regulate that nervous system.
1: I I have a particular um, slant, which is that the word addiction is thrown around and looked down at Find me a human being that does doesn't have an addiction, whether it is caffeine, sugar, mm-hmm. exercise, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for people to look over there because we all live in a glass house. In that context, yes, there are some more uh, extreme and less functional versions of addiction, but it's all it's all in the same basket,
0: right? I want to say I, well, so that that's the term that we use is maladaptive coping mechanisms. It can be any, and even think about electronics, cell phones, okay. huge addiction for us these days. So it's all a distraction.
1: And you have a whole generation coming of, you know, connectivity is interesting, right? We can we can sit here thousands of miles apart and have a chat, I know. but that means that the stakes are higher than ever. If you're in elementary school and you do something dumb in the in the morning, some people know about it by the end of the day, back in the day. Now... Millions of people can be ridiculing you by the end of the hour. So, in terms of the the social pressures and anxieties on our kids, I cannot imagine this next generation of cycles through through um, facilities like yours. Because <laughs> uh, and uh, and that that doesn't even speak to the last couple of years. Tell me about how Sabino's business grew during COVID. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, some level of depression or anxiety touched just about everyone in the last couple of years. I'm I'm hopeful that there's an upside to that, which is systemic em- empathy. Yeah. I'm not necessarily seeing it at the level I would hope. But, you yeah. know, yeah. But we've all been through something in the last couple of years, but yeah. tell me about, about Sabino Recovery's, um, you know, wading the seas of COVID.
0: Well, certainly when, you know, when it first hit, It was pretty scary because everyone just wanted to stay home. Everyone was really scared. But as the dust started to settle and people realized that not connecting to the outside world was absolutely not sustainable, we started getting people in just in groves. I mean, our census went up exponentially and then we were on a wait list. And so it was really interesting how quickly that shift happened. Um, And also that people tend to be getting more acute um, just the the dis well, listen, Covid created a culture of scarcity and fear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And being human beings are meant to survive, that nervous system dysregulation became chronic across the board. Mm-hmm. Not only that, you're at home every day with people that you probably don't spend as much time with as you did before or you're spending more time with yourself because of the workaholic can't go to work, right? I mean, there's so many ramifications to this. Um, in one in one side, I think the focus on mental health has increased. It was always, you know, we've always had mental health issues. Trauma has always been an issue, but the focus on it has increased. And again, like I said, I've seen a, a small shift with insurance companies and what they're willing to cover post COVID. So. I always try to look at the positive, right? Like making meaning out of your adversity. We got it. We got to look at the positive spin on this. So, but it's definitely had an impact on our industry.
1: Now, in, in terms of your inpatient facility, you, you you were never shut down by COVID. You were able yeah. to, to Oh, good for you.
0: I and, never stayed home. Yep.
1: Well, and everybody was healthy. Knock on.
0: Yep. Knock on wood. Yeah. How many? What's your
1: capacity for inpatient?
0: We are a thirty bed unit, and and we're we're considered residential. So there's different levels of care, um, kind of inpatient, I think of inpatient psych, that's more like a level one, people that are a lot more acute. We're a level, and I don't know if it's level two, but we're residential, so they do have a sense of freedom to kind of wander around the campus, and they have access to electronics here and there. Um, we go on outings in the community, so there's a little bit of freedom in that, um, but they do, they stay, our minimum length of stay is 35 days, and then up to about 60, we've had people stay up to 90 days. but 35 to 45 is kind of the sweet spot in there. And and are you doing remote
1: treatments as well? Do you do do outpatient services? Do you do telehealth? No, it is all hands-on. All hands-on. It's an intensive approach, okay.
0: Well, and I will tell you about that is interesting. And I know that this, like you and I have this conversation via Zoom right now. And so it's again, a great resource for a lot of people. Um, When COVID first hit, one thing we did shut down was our family program and we went all virtual for family program. It. And the connection was not near as meaningful as it was. So as soon as we got the green light, we brought that family program back onto campus because it just wasn't the same. Sure. You
1: know, I would think it's a double-edged sword. You know, there are people with anxieties who don't necessarily want to walk into a room full of strangers mm-hmm. who can get some level of connectivity and and, and therapy through <laughs> through a laptop but there's a sense of a person and connection that you're just never gonna get this way. Absolutely. So yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Um, what makes Sabino stand out from, I hate to use the term competitors, because obviously therapy is not a competitive sport, but it, yeah. it is still the business at the end of the day and you gotta keep the lights on. What what, what makes you guys, what differentiates you?
0: So I would I would say a couple things differentiate us. Um, number one is that we really are individualized. We really try to look at each person. So. If someone comes in, you know, obviously there's still diagnosis. There's still a diagnostic criteria that we go by to kind of, that helps us guide treatment. It doesn't help us pathologize the person, but it helps us guide the kind of the treatment regimen. But I can have two people that come in diagnosed with depression and alcoholism, and we're going to treat them completely differently. You know, one might resonate with EMDR, which is eye movement decent reprocessing. It's a trauma treatment where the other one might resonate more with somatic experiencing, or the other person might resonate with equine therapy but we really try to meet the person where they're at. And then we have staffings every Tuesday when and Thursday. If some, what we're doing isn't working for someone, we can make those changes in real time because we're small enough. Mm-hmm. And again, not di- their stay is not dictated by an insurance company. They're staying no matter what. So um, that that's a huge thing. I also think some of the modalities that we utilize kind of set us apart. We do the, the evidence-based, the cognitive behavioral, the dialectical behavioral, Um, but we all, and EMDR is SE, but we also do a lot of experiential treatments. You know, we've got Reiki, we've got bioenergetic medicine, biofield tuning, some of these more energetic body-based treatments that really get people back in touch with their nervous system and allow them to regulate on their own. So those are some things, you know, that really, I think set us apart. We have an equine facility on, on campus. So we either do equine therapy as a group, equine therapy individually, or we take people on horseback rides into Sabino Canyon. Again, privately owned, we don't have the same rules as some of these bigger corporations. So we can do, we've got a high ropes course. So it's just um, those kind of activities are more team building, peer support. But a lot of people have been sitting at home depressed in bed for three months. Oh, yeah. So that in of itself, being part of a team builder is a huge shift for some of our folks.
1: That's excellent. I mean... It has to be a holistic approach. You can make generalities in mental health, but it just, it doesn't work that way, right? Right, right, right. Person presents the way they do. I mean, I I have a bunch of opinions because I I know in a previous conversation, I I let you know that I dabbled in this space for a little while, but Mm -hmm. I feel like post-traumatic stress is a vastly underused term. We seem to want to reserve it for people who've been through, you know, definably objective trauma. I, I think the the pool gets rippled at an early age in many ways, in many directions. And you know, when your brain's pumping out uh, hormones at a given moment, you are a passenger, right? Yeah. Sometimes our behavior is not necessarily a choice, yeah. and and breaking those patterns is not the easiest thing in the world. And you know, showing people that it is possible to change this—just the possibility of change—is just everything. That that moment of shift. And
0: I love that the possibility of change. Yeah. I I mean. Again, in my
1: in, in my time in the mental health care space, I was I was an intake coordinator and I was in front of people who've been through this process yeah. with 30 different providers and 50 different medications for decades. And they just get more and more closed down to the point where, well, this is just another somebody throwing a, a dart in a windstorm. Yeah. But there is the possibility of change. I mean, not every provider is for every patient and not every drug is for every patient. It, but you know, it sounds like you guys are small enough and agile enough and and um, and empathic enough to deal with everybody as they present, which is huge,
0: well, and the other thing I want to just mention since we're talking about setting us apart, um on campus, we have a sleep dog. So we have overnight sleep studies that we can do. We've got a natural path. We have a full psychiatric team. Um, but we and we do uh, brain mapping and neurofeedback. So we do, We meet the person, the entire person. We look at every aspect from sleep to nutrition, right, to modulating the brain. So there's so many different ways that we can go about treating each individual. So I just wanted to mention that. That,
1: That's a little deeper than 15 minutes with a prescription pad in your Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, in terms of getting your message out to prospective clients, uh, tell me about content and, and how you guys have marketed Sabino Recovery. What are you doing to get the story out?
0: Yeah. So we have a, yeah, we have a website, which we've made a lot of changes to here and there. We have a full outreach team. So we've got people, you know, we've got someone in California, we've got someone in Texas, we've got someone in Denver, New York, and they really just go around and obviously share the word about what Sabino is doing, as well as if somebody calls in and is not appropriate for our level of care or financially can't afford it, we're going to find them a resource. We're not just here to bring people in. We're also here to help as many people as we can find the right treatment for them. So that's a really big part of what they do. Um, you know, I'm going to a conference next week. I'm, I'm going to New York in March to speak at a conference too. So, you know, I like to get out there and just spread the word about what we're doing. Um, but you know, that's, that's as much as I know, not the marketing piece of it. (laughs) There are people for that. Yes, there are.
1: For sure. You have people. Um, now, are the vast majority of your patients uh, or clients, however you like to refer to them, from Arizona or are they coming from the four corners of the states?
0: Oh, yeah, they're from all over. I mean, actually, the lowest number of census of people is from Arizona. Whoa. Well, yeah, we get them really from all over.
1: Any particular age or demographic that seems to just drop in the slot at Sabino or you're across the spectrum?
0: You know, that's really interesting because it is really across the spectrum. I mean, we've had people that just came in on their 18th birthday and still in high school, all the way up to the 79-year-old man who just really wants to quit drinking. You know, it's been doing the same thing his whole life. So I, I could, I just don't even know that there's a trend that I could identify in my almost four years there. It's, it's really runs the gamut.
1: Well, once again, that's, that speaks to your flexibility and your ability to deal with what's in front of you and who, who is actually in front of you, not, As a concept, but as a human, which is important. Yeah. What is something you'd like to be celebrating personally and professionally one year from now?
0: Oh, good question. I don't know about that. Well, good. We like to. Personally, I'd like to celebrate having a little more work life balance. You know, we talked about those maladaptive coping mechanisms. I like, might half point, <laughs> <once." Yeah. laughs> When you figure that out, you let me yeah, know. I'll, I'll let you know. I'm going to put uh,
1: out a, cur- a course curriculum on that. Yeah.
0: But, you know, really professionally, I just, I want to continue to grow my craft and be able to provide supervision to my staff. Um, that's really important to me. I, you know, I love being a clinician, but I also really love being a leader. And that I'm able to motivate my staff. You know, I'm very much a servant leader. I'm not a fear-based leader at all. Um, So to continue doing that work and maybe even do some leadership, you know, I do a lot of clinician type trainings, but maybe do some leadership type trainings and get more involved with the outreach efforts of Sabino. I think that's really the direction I want to go in um, because I think more people, well, it's just what I was talking about earlier, right around the new year, um, I was contacted by a, a news station out of Dallas and they kind of manage all these different radio stations. So I did like 10 different radio spots the day before new year's and they were asking about incidents of DUIs, why people drink and drive. And I was able to kind of spread this message about trauma. You talk about stigmatization, you know, someone gets a DUI and they're a horrible human. No, they went to the bar and started drinking and they lost complete access to the, I mean, not that I'm, It's yes, it's a horrible thing, but they're not horrible people, right? So. Use, when I had these conversations with these folks, I mean, I could not believe how surprised they were that this work is happening, and I don't want people to be surprised anymore. So the more awareness I can bring to the impact of trauma, that would that just feeds my soul. I think you may be doing that here today. I think I'm
1: right. <laughs> well, Shara Turner, it has been lovely chatting with you. There's rabbit holes you and I could go down for hours on end. right. Please tell everyone what your URL is, where they can find Sabina Recovery, and what social media channels you're using these days.
0: Um, so sabinarecovery.com, and we are on Facebook, we are on LinkedIn, and we are on Instagram. So you can find us, just Sabina Recovery. Um, and again, if anyone has any questions, concerns, they're worried about a loved one, we are also here to find resources for people too. So
1: I truly appreciate who you are and what you do, really. Thank you. Um, I, again I, I think there's a greater need for it than ever unfortunately yeah. and it, the statistic you read off about people exposed to trauma is uh, jaw dropping but not yeah. surprising to me cuz you know trauma is a broad term you know I mean? and and it's a personal term right
0: yes absolutely
1: uh, again i think all of our pools were rippled at some point and when it comes back you're not necessarily uh, you don't necessarily have the tools with which to to weight it you know mm-hmm. so. I appreciate your time. Thanks for spending some time with us here today on Business Ninjas. I wish you and yours all the best and keep on helping as many people as you can out there.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it.
1: Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this?
0: Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io and schedule a time to meet with us and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.